Hey, it's Sarah. This episode with healing arts trainer slash yoga teacher slash energy person Lizzie Cutler is all about manifesting good things in 2020, including tips on how to be accountable for your goals and your resolutions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a minute to rate the show and leave a review. You can do that on iTunes by searching That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Before we get to today's episode, I want to tell you about another great ESPN podcast, The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. That's her dog. This week, Mina reacts to a wild card weekend that saw the Patriots lose and her Seahawks advance. This should be a good one. You can find the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny wherever you get your podcasts. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. I'm Lizzie Cutler. My dilemma is I can't stop coughing as I'm about to record a podcast. Okay, good news. We recorded this podcast after you stated this dilemma, and the podcast was 100% cough-free. No editing needed. We didn't cut out any cold-related sniffles or phlegm balls or anything like that. So I'd like to believe that you put the dilemma out into the universe and the energy of the commish, which is strong, went ahead and cleared a path, cough-free, a whole cough-free hour so that we could hear your wisdom. So you're welcome. The commish has spoken. My guest today is Lizzie Cutler, yoga teacher, healing arts expert, energy editor, my friend. If you're already rolling your eyes, don't go. Wait. Please, I beg of you. I promise it's worth powering through to hear her talk about the stuff at the end. She tells us about the reasons we can't stick to our resolutions, the blocks that we have that cause us to sabotage things that we really truly want to change or achieve and can't seem to. It's not just about acknowledging that you failed your diet or you didn't quit the job you hate or whatever that is. It's about why you're afraid of change deep down and why you would want that change in the first place and how finding the why and the feeling that you'll have when you make the change will help you get through those those barriers. So like I said, especially of you that are listening that are not into yoga and chakras and energy and all that, you might be tempted to bail when you're listening to this at the beginning. But I promise she is a totally cool, normal, fun, fish show attending, costume party going badass who I totally gravitated to because she is a normal person. And she combines all these great messages and meditations and, and inspirations with cool, awesome music in class, like, you know, 80s movie music or Biggie and Tupac, and a down-to-earth personality and a realness that I don't always find with the woo-woo yoga folks. For instance, here's how she talks about telling a whole class of people on last New Year's Day how she was going to find the man of her dreams within the next year. I think last year even, like, I pronounced to the class, like, by the end of 2019, I will have found my person. And I didn't, and I kind of feel like a dick, but, like, it didn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it again. See? Totally cool chick. Totally normal. And totally worth listening to. I promise that the tips and thoughts about setting goals and achieving is just what you need for the new year, whether you've got resolutions or intentions, big or small. So feel free to take notes or even, you know, save the start time of the short intention talk that she gives so you can revisit it and use it for your own goals. And if you're really into this stuff, I also recommend going back to my podcast with Gretchen Rubin the author of Better Than Before and The Happiness Project from a few months ago, she gave really great tips on changing your habits and then figuring out how your personality type can decide the best ways to stick with those habit changes. To paraphrase something that Lizzie often says in class, you wouldn't dream it if you weren't capable of having it or doing it. So listen and figure out what's blocking you and let's make all of our intentions and resolutions really matter this year. 
And P.S. If you don't have intentions or resolutions, stick around. Listener dilemma at the end of the pod will give you a few suggestions from a great story that I read. That's what she said. So I'm super excited to introduce all of you listeners to Lizzie Cutler, my favorite yoga teacher who combines all these wonderful things that I love into one class that I like to take every Saturday. It's got great music, everything from 80s movie playlists to Lizzo and Biggie on any given day. You never know what you're going to get, but it's always great music that I love. Plus power yoga where you're working hard, but also getting a great stretch and making your body better. And then near the end, often some sort of small meditative practices or thought exercises as you're uh, in pigeon or long held poses or potentially even into your savasana. And combining all those things together is sort of a perfect representation of what she does. She gets your body working, but also your brain. And I thought she was a perfect guest for this first podcast of the new year. We're a couple days now into what I assume you all resolved to do, intended to do, depending on the word you use. And so we're going to get into why people fail or succeed at achieving the things they set out to do um, and some tips and really great practices that you can put into place to maybe help yourself along if you tend to fail on the resolutions that you make at the new year. Um, but I want to start, Lizzie, with who you are. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, and what kind of kid you were. Well, let me start by thanking you for having me on here, Sarah. And it's always yeah. a pleasure having you in my yoga class, singing along with my playlist. <laughs> how I know that I'm succeeding as a DJ. That's right. Um, so I am Lizzie, and I grew up on the North Shore of Chicago. Did you ask what I was like as a kid? Yeah. That's such a, a great question and kind <laughs> of a weird – I was a weird kid. Like, I feel a little – well, I feel a lot bad for my mom now as an adult looking back and watching my sister raise her kids and seeing the struggle and the punishment that we put our parents through. I remember being little and feeling, and I'm just going to go for it now. Like I know we're about three seconds into this podcast, but I literally <laughs> remember thinking, I've been on this planet before. Wow. And why did I have to come back? Which, wow. Yeah. is like not normal for a little kid. And I remember almost like itching at my skin because it felt so confining for energy to have to be stuck in this physical body. So that sets up for a very weird childhood. Yeah. So, yeah. Like brilliantly, my mom was good friends with women who, and men, but like like my stepdad always saw it in me and um, some of my mom's best friends. I remember being little and saying to one of them, I think I've been here before. And she huh. looked at me and kind of giggled and was like, I think you have two Liz. And I knew she knew what I meant. So like I had people around me to help me kind of navigate it, but I was, you know, kind of a weird kid. And then of course, trying to fit into like, you know, mainstream and also wanting to be a, a cool kid. So yeah, kind of that, that constant toggle between like, you're weird, you're different, you know, you've been here and go be a cheerleader. Well, and it's interesting, too, that you could already articulate that, that it wasn't just like, oh, I don't fit in, I feel different. It's that you had this very obvious and clear idea of why you felt different, which is crazy yeah. to be able to articulate at a young age. I don't know where that came from. I, yeah. I'm assuming I saw it on like a movie or something, although I don't <laughs> know that like Alvin and the Chipmunks was getting into past yeah. life regression. <laughs> right. OK, so you're were you a cheerleader? I was, yeah, like my sister and I were constantly dancing, very active, always on our bikes. 
and always making up. Like the reason that I'm always playing Janet in class. Yeah. We were literally obsessed with Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul, like constantly dancing, playing, making our family sit and watch us sing and dance. Um, <laughs> so always moving and shaking, which then led like kind of directly into the cheerleading palms world. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to picture you, even though you have, you know, the, the energy and, and the everything um, of being a cheerleader. I'm trying to picture that now. But I also love that we've talked about your athleticism, but that you didn't really play sports because you didn't like things with balls in it, which, of course, yes. I've already made all the jokes a million times. But um, there's, ball joke here. <laughs> there's many ball jokes to be made, but we don't have time for those. So when you were dancing and doing all this stuff and, and growing up, what did you think you wanted to do as an adult? I really wanted, this was my goal in life. I wanted to be on Days of Our Lives. <laughs> <laughs> my number one goal in life. I even went so far as I wanted to win a daytime Emmy for like best newcomer. Nice. Very specific. Days. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to be on One Life to Live, no general hospital. It had to be Days. My aunt got me watching Days when I was young. So like, I remember Jack and Jen's wedding as a little girl for my bat mitzvah. I asked for a TV with a VCR in it so that I could record. <laughs> oh, my oh, wow. Okay. All right. So yeah. did you, did you get into acting and stuff then? Did you actually pursue that once it became something that you would need to be, you know, tangible about achieving? Yeah. So I loved, I was really lucky at the high school I went to, I went to Stevenson high school and they had an amazing theater program and I got right into that. And then, went to USC as a theater major for my undergrad and um, fully had the dream of like, okay, I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to go meet Bo and Hope. And <laughs> once I got to USC and started really seeing what that world was like, I remember having amazing teachers pull me aside and say, if there's anything else you can think of doing, go do that other thing. Yeah. You have to be That's willing and ready. That's a pretty common to, like, thing. Start. Yeah, yeah I had that in acting classes as well, where they would tell the class the exact same thing. They're basically like, there's too many people and not everyone's talented enough. And, you know, you're going to you're going to probably not make it. So unless this is the only thing you want to do with your life, do something else. Yeah. Once they said to me, you need to be willing to starve. I was like, well, I'm definitely not willing to starve. <laughs> like, I definitely want to be able to support myself and make a living. So, yeah. So, so then, then what did you do? How do you pivot? This was like so random. My mom randomly found me a job back home um, writing mortgages as a mortgage loan officer. I, okay. I didn't know what a W-2 was. I knew nothing. But the guy <laughs> said to me on the phone, are you afraid to get on the phone and talk to a stranger? And I was like, no, dude, I'm a theater major. Like, I'll be whoever you want me to be on the phone. So I jumped into that, made enough money to like start a life for myself back home. And then I transition from that. I was a project man manager for a custom home builder. That obviously didn't work out. And then I was an assistant for like a finance firm. And during that, um, I ended up moving to Tokyo for the guy I ended up marrying and later divorcing. But um, he got me to Tokyo and I was able to afford and have time to do a yoga teacher training. And that was really where I like woke up. It's funny for creative people, there's often this very winding path because there's this like passion inside. There's this dream of doing something, but actually getting to do it is so much more difficult than like, I want to be an accountant. Okay, cool. Here's the right. steps you take. It's like, you don't know how to get there. And so oftentimes you'll end up doing a whole bunch of other stuff before you finally make your way back to something that approximates what you had that sort of 
fire for. Um, yeah. Before we get to the Tokyo, when you left L.A. Um, and you didn't have this dream that had been the dream for so long and you went back to the, you know, Illinois, did you feel disappointed in yourself? Was it a failure in your mind or was it a, like, oh, I know I don't want this anymore. So now let me go figure out what I do want. More the latter. I think I just didn't. I knew I didn't want to be there. I really didn't like being in L.A. and I knew I really didn't fit in there. And I, I was just so happy to come home to family and to the Midwest where people smiled and were kind. And mm. <laughs> I, I really needed to get out of L.A. Yeah. Huh. I was happy to come home if I want to be in plays or whatever I can. Yeah. There's a there's a scene in Chicago, too, where you could still do that. Um, yeah. But to your point about the pivot, like, I didn't even know what my medium was, right? Like, I didn't really know what my craft was. If I wasn't going to be on Days of Our Lives, <laughs> I, like, didn't know what my, where I was going to get that fulfillment of being on stage, right. which is what I think what a lot of people get from teaching fitness classes. Yeah, it's, it's performative for sure, especially yeah. if you do it a certain way. Okay, so yeah. you're in Tokyo now with the soon-to-be husband um, and... Presumably, you went out there without a job. You were going there for his job, and that allowed you to figure out, what do I like to do, and then how do I turn it into a job? Yeah, even more extreme, I wasn't allowed to get a job because I didn't have a work visa, and they're not easy <laughs> to get them. Wow. So I was literally going out there. as like I called, him, uh, I called myself his house girlfriend. We were engaged. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to come be your house girlfriend, but like I can't sit around and do nothing because I'll go nuts. So aside from learning Japanese, what am I going to do with myself? And there was one yoga teacher training in English, and I just jumped in. And it turned out this was a Japanese woman who was married to an American. She opened the business while she was in Tokyo and then moved back to New York. So she wasn't even really there. But it was very heavily based on meditation as a big component of it. And I had never meditated before. And once I started doing the training and really learning about meditation and why and how and what, then things started to open up for me. And that was when I started really finding like a different side of myself that, of course, we don't know it exists until you see it. But once I started seeing it, I was like, oh, shit. That was when I kind of had that like wake up of there's something else going on. You've always known there was something else going on, but we've kept you really busy and now it's time to wake up. Yeah. So, and that was when I started feeling energy and feeling other people's energy and sort of paying attention to what was going on around me in a way that I had been asleep to for years before. Had you done yoga before going out to Tokyo? Yeah, I started doing yoga um, like kind of towards the end of high school. I had taken a couple classes. And again, back to my mom, her other best friend was a total yogi and hippie way before yoga was cool. Yeah. And so she would always kind of have us doing stuff. And then I got really into it in LA. Like it was my, and it wasn't cool then yet. It wasn't like a trend, but I found a place, I didn't know what it was, but they were teaching Ashtanga yoga, which is really fast and heated and very athletic. And it felt like I could dance. Like it felt like I was dancing in a class again. And I really had missed that. Yeah. So it, um, it hooked me in that way. And kind of, I remember feeling that yoga buzz. And then I kept doing it once I was back in Chicago. And I'd had a couple of teachers say, like, why don't you do a teacher training? You're ready to teach. And I was like, no, I, I can't teach yet. I can't do a headstand in the middle of the room or <laughs> I can't do a handstand. So I can't do it. Like, I had this concept that teachers had to be able to do all the tricks, which looking back, I now realize is 
silly. Not true. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in Tokyo. You take this teacher training. There's this element of meditation, um, which I just the last couple years have tried to meditate. I just it wasn't that appealing to me. Um, yeah. Even though I probably understood that it would be useful for someone like me whose brain is constantly going a thousand miles an hour. Um, yeah, I but I needed, yeah, I needed, as usual, um, scientific proof. Uh, I have trouble just leaning into <laughs> things without being told that someone has studied it and this is what it will do and this is how it will help you. We'll get to that later. But so your experience getting into the meditation side of it opened you up to yoga being more than just a physical practice. Yes. It totally opened me up more. Um, our teacher, so the the man who started this style of yoga that I was being taught, his name is Alan Finger. He's still, I think he's still working in New York. He came to teach a meditation in Tokyo and he literally blew my mind. Like I remember him walking over and he did this energy thing while he was teaching meditation and I could see a massive white light shoot up into my third eye like, I felt like someone had a flashlight in my eyes. I even opened my eyes later to see what was going on. <laughs> and after that, I was like, okay, I kept thinking I was feeling energy move, but that wasn't even about me by myself. Something is going on here. And that was kind of the, a big tipping point for me of being opened and, and then diving in. And then kind of just fast forwarding a little bit. Then when I was home... I was actually in the middle of my divorce and I remember all these weird things happening in a row where I hadn't seen somebody for three months and I would think of her in the morning and then that day she would show up for my class and I would wow. think of somebody and then I would grab my phone and they were texting me or like coincidences, but all of them happening in a row, I was like, something's up. And that was kind of what really launched me. So I, it kept happening more and more to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore and I was like, all right, this is really cool, but what else? Like, this is great that I know who's going to text me, but it doesn't really help me do anything in life. So if I'm going to have some magic power, can it be cooler than knowing who's texting? <laughs> and so I went to this woman who was a psychic near my house, and I asked her to teach me what she does. And at first she said no, and it was like a very karate kid moment. Like she's like, <laughs> no, I don't do that anymore. And then I went back to her again, and she was like, okay, fine. I found the yin to your yang. So I'm going to teach both of you, but I needed the balance. Hmm. And she started teaching us how she does psychic readings. And so I started doing these readings for people and it was all super cool. And it was like kind of the like dancing monkey moment of like, I can wow you and I can tell you what your grandfather looks like. And I can tell you about that ring that your grandmother left you that's sitting in your nightstand. And it was fun. I mean, it was cool and it was fun and it was nerve wracking and was it going to work and and then it became a combo with the yoga and the meditation and then this other piece. So when I would, a bunch of different psychics kept telling me to do my Reiki certification. So I went and did that. And when I would do Reiki on people, I would see things. Like if my hands were on their head or if I were doing anything on them, I would see images in my head that I then realized were messages for them. So it would mean nothing to me. But they would say, like, oh, my God, that's my whatever. Okay, um, hold on. Yeah. couple things. First, yeah. I'm going to have you explain Reiki. But first, for the people that are listening, that are rolling their eyes, what do you totally. tell them about? Because I know you personally, and I know that you go to fish shows, and you 
play Janet Jackson and 80s music and you party and you're super fun and not totally hippy dippy, which is what I would imagine yeah. you to be if I was listening yeah. to this and didn't know you. I, yeah. I, and that's why I, I connect with you because you're totally not that people who are hippy dippy aren't totally normal. They're their own special thing, but maybe not on the same wavelength as me all the time. Um, I need a little bit more of a connection point there, um, which yeah. you have. So. For everyone rolling their eyes and thinking, like, this person is kind of a weirdo, like, this isn't true. Yeah, total weirdo. How do you, how did you accept it and believe it? Because it got so loud and so frequent that I couldn't deny it anymore. And it was wowing me, and I was rolling my eyes at it as it was all ramping up. So, like, I've always loved psychics, and I've always loved that world, but was never, never felt in it or a part of it. And, you know, like, the people I would go have readings for had like long froey hair and crystals everywhere and dream catchers hanging. And I was like, <laughs> bullshit. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's cute. And like, if someone buys me a dream catcher, why not? I'll hang it. But like, it was not my jam. I'm much more tangible. And, you know, I guess a little more scientific, not as far as you, but certainly more. <laughs> but I had to take the leap of faith because it was so consistent that it was undeniable. It was like, how many times are you going to get hit in the head before you move your head? So, yeah. and it yeah. was also kind of like, I had nothing to lose, right? So going to the different mediums or readers or whatever, I didn't really feel like I had anything to lose from it. And I certainly wasn't quitting my day job to do it, right? So it wasn't like I was like, Hey fam, I'm moving to India to go be a psychic <laughs> reader in crystals. And like, <laughs> you were like, let me just explore this, and wow, it's working, and I can yeah. see and feel things and send these messages yeah, and, like, to people. Crazy, crazy things were coming through for people. What is it? Messages it's, like in um, Ghost when Whoopi Goldberg's like telling him like, yeah, but I don't try, hear trying to tell you like something. Whoopi did. So there's different ways. This might be a separate podcast, and I don't know if ESPN is interested <laughs> in this podcast. But, like, there are different ways that things are communicated. So where Whoopi hears things, I would see, like, pictures of things and describe the picture and then get a mess, like, a a knowing about what that picture was about. Mm. So it's called claircognizance. It's like a knowing versus clairaudience of hearing. Interesting. Okay, so tell us about Reiki. So Reiki is, and this is another one that I totally rolled my eyes at, and I can tell you a little bit. Um <laughs> Reiki is a hands-off energy mover. So you basically hover your hands over somebody. And this is where it lost me. Like you have to be attuned. They call it attuned by someone who's already a Reiki master. So it felt a little like pyramid scheme to me. Yeah. And by holding your hands, you're transmitting energy from like universe or that source or that frequency into this person. And I'm sure most anybody who's a Reiki practitioner who's listening to this is saying I'm explaining it wrong. And I know I am. There's like a certain frequency that it vibrates at and there's a lot of healing properties to it. It just didn't necessarily feel that connected to me. So when I would do Reiki on people, they would say that my hands were burning hot and they could feel things, but I felt nothing. Interesting. So it didn't feel... Like in yoga, if someone says my back hurts, I have tangible tools to help you try to make your back feel better. And after class, you're going to say whether it feels better or not. With Reiki, it felt like it felt like a Hail Mary. Mm. That's my one and only sports reference. That's a great sports analogy. I think Thank you nailed you. it. <laughs> nailed it. Um, 
<laughs> okay, so you are trying to figure out your superpowers and also how you want to use them. Yeah. And for instance, in yoga class, you, like I said, you do these sort of like mini meditations and thought exercises at the end. Rarely do you get into some of the words that I think are third rails for people who get weirded out by that stuff. You don't talk about chakras and Reiki and whatever. Mm -hmm. You just sort of talk about tangible things and ways for people to acknowledge, be grateful, figure out what they want, put out goals, etc. So when you're doing the psychic work and, and the energy work, how do you, how did you decide where you wanted to take it and how you wanted to use it? Well, in the early days, I would say to people, okay, this might sound crazy and I'm not going to nail 10 out of 10, but I'm just going to tell you what I see. And if any of it rings true and helps you, great. And if not, no harm, no foul. So just roll with me here. And that sort of gave me the freedom to not have to be perfect. And, you know, because there's the pressure of like, normally when I tell people I can hear or I can see or any of that, I get, well, what am I thinking right now? (laughs) Right. And it's the like, prove it which is a lot of pressure and I couldn't always, right? Like the, I don't know. I mean, I kind of understand more how it works now and I respect it more now. And I understand I'm only going to get what you need to hear. It's none of my business to judge it or to give you what you want. I'm, I'm only able to give you what you are meant to hear and what will help you move forward in your next steps. And beyond that, it's none of my business. And it's been probably like a seven year journey now, maybe a little more. And now I'm more confident and more able to say like, screw you. I'm not your show dog. Right. So I don't feel that same pressure, but I also, I, I work with a lot of mainstream people. So I work with a lot of like finance people and lawyers and CEOs and, you know, entrepreneurs and creatives where talking about chakras and, like you don't need to know how energy works. It's my job to know how energy works and my job to help you move your energy. And you don't need the full history, right? Like a doctor's not going to go into a medical history about (laughs) why you need to take the penicillin, just take the penicillin. Yeah. But I found once I was back in Chicago after Tokyo, I knew because I had come from that like sort of mainstream background of being in a finance world and being in, you know, project management and mortgages and banking and blah, blah, blah. I kind of knew what our world was like back in the States and how to sort of have East meets West in a way that didn't scare people out of it. And I think that was sort of my, um, like my magic potion. One of my best friends, Kylie, was a consultant at KPMG forever and was, you know, in that deep in that banking and finance and all that stuff. And now she's a yoga teacher and retreat runner. And she's totally the same way. It's about how do you balance sort of understanding the people that are coming into your class and bringing them the part of it that they're going to connect to and benefit from without expecting everyone to be fully in it the way that you are. So let's talk about the sort of intention workshop that you did last year that I came to, Mm -hmm. because I thought it was so useful because it did have these very practical, tangible methods of accountability and action in connection with these bigger picture idealizations of what people want. And I'm sure because you do, you know, one-on-one practices with people, um, sort of like life coaching type stuff. 
um, and energy type stuff with people. And I, I think if I'm wrong here, correct me, but a lot of the people that you work with, there isn't even that much of the energy chakra visions. It's a lot of just like, let's talk about who you are and what you want and why you can't get it. Yeah. So I work with people a lot and that's what the workshop was kind of geared towards was what is that one thing that you keep saying you want and yet you can't create it for whatever reason. And I'll get to the reason, but tell me what that thing is that you keep saying you want to bring into your life or you want to let go of. And yet year after year, new year's after new year's, you're sitting there thinking like, God damn it, one more year. And here I am. And how do we move it? And through so much of what I've read and studied, it's what we believe versus what we say that matters or that is Mm. the most significant impact on our life. I should say. So if a client keeps saying, I really want a new job. I really want a new job yet has so much fear around change for whatever reason. Anytime that new job approaches, their fear is going to instantly push it away and self-sabotage in some way or another. The new job opportunity is going to go to somebody else. The, the, you know, it's going to require such a big leap that they're not able to do it. Like something is going to come up to sabotage the opportunity in order to keep you safe because you're sending out to the universe change is scary, change is, you know, change is chaos. And if that's what you're sending out, the universe only knows how to say yes. And so we know what we believe by looking around at our results. Hmm. That's the fastest way to understand what we actually believe is what we've created around us. Because if you think like for you, Sarah, you're so natural at being outgoing and and like connecting people and um, like creating community, I would say, from what I've seen of you and what I know of you, that to me is one of the things that I love most is like anywhere I go, if I'm near you, I'm going to meet 25 new people (laughs) and it's going to feel like family. Like you create that sense of, of that network. So no one would ever have to say to you, you need to learn how to do this, Right. right? You believe it's easy to do and you create it everywhere you go. It's effortless. So we know that things happen effortlessly. People will say to me, you know, making money is really hard. You have to work so hard. Like, yes, and plenty of people on this planet don't work hard and have a shit ton of money. Right. So how do we explain that? Right. Right? It's not a fact. It's just what we're told. Like, if you don't have money, you have to work really hard to get it. Maybe. If you believe that, yes, for sure. If I believe money effortlessly flows to me, I'm always going to have enough, but it's not enough to say it. And this is my point. It's not just about the mantra and like, you know, say it six times when you wake up and write it on your mirror and you have to find a way to believe it so that you're vibrating at that level. So if we go back to like physics and like attracts like, you have to be vibrating at that level so that it can come to you. The universe is trying to bring it to you. And it will in the fastest, easiest way if you just get out of the way. So if I'm in my head thinking it's really hard to make money and it's really hard to come up from nothing and you have to work your life away. But no, and and my mantra is money comes to me, money flows to me. I'm going to keep creating the hard. Because mm. that's the vibration I'm sending out. So no matter how much I say it, not going to happen until you believe it. So what I do with people is find the reason, find where that programming is for the thing that's not working for you anymore. 
So where did you learn that? Where was it taught to you? Where is it in your chakra system? And again, the patient doesn't need to know what I'm doing, but I need to get you talking about it and I need to understand where it comes from and this like the story behind it and then unravel that knot for you. And we're doing it together. So I usually say to people like, you are healing you. I'm showing you how. And I truly believe that. So what I like to do with people for, you know, whether it's a New Year's resolution or I do a lot of goal coaching, whether it's with teams or with like one-on-one clients or in workshops. And I think it's helpful to, to pay attention to what has come to you easily, what flows really easily, because then you find your power, right? If I created that, I can create this. Hmm. And if I've done all of that really well, what's next? And what's standing in my way from getting there? And I started this thing called Turn Left a while ago that was basically about teaching people, like, find your pivot point when you've done it before and then know that you can do it again. Because anytime we pivot, whether it was me, like, going to L.A. or going to Tokyo or telling people I'm psychic, (laughs) there are fears, right? Like, there are fears that haunt us before we actually make the leap. And those fears, once we face the thing, you know, once you turn on the light, like the monster's not in the closet anymore. Right. So once, what I have found is for everybody, once you face it, whether it's getting divorced or leaving a job or leaving a career or whatever the thing is, once we leave it, we realize those fears weren't really valid at all. And the universe shows up once you take the, the leap. The reason I like to hold people accountable and create baby step points to it is because if we think of a huge goal, it's like marathon training, right? If you think of it as I have to run 26 miles, it's too daunting. It's too overwhelming. But if you think like, okay, this week I just have to run two miles twice, you know, three times a week or whatever the thing is. And so when we're talking about life goals, like, all right, I'm looking for my divine partner. Like I want unbelievable, crazy, amazing connection and love if I'm going to get married again. So in order for me to find that, I probably need to leave my house. <laughs> like, I, Part of why I keep teaching yoga is to get myself out of the house. So, <laughs> so I'll set up goals of like, I need to go out with friends at least six times a month. And I'll tell some of my friends, I need you to hold me accountable to this. And if I don't do it, I promise I'm going to do this thing that you know I'll hate. Because it, you know, it like forces the issue. It also tells the universe that I'm serious about it. Right. And I think it breaks it down in bite-sized pieces that are easier to swallow. Yeah. So a couple things on that. Um, During the intention workshop, one of the things that you did that I loved was you did, starting with I think it was 10 years from now, picture Mm -hmm. the perfect house. If you could create the perfect house to live in, what does it look like? Where is it? Think about your perfect day. What do you do during that day? And then you went, what are you doing five years from now that gets you closer to that? Three years from now that gets you closer to that? One year from now? And then you said within the next year, what are the things that you can do that get you closer to that life that you envision and want? And you have to email people and tell them 
And that's the accountability yeah. factor. It's not just dream yeah. of something and then bury it no. in your head. It's tell right. people around you, these are things that I want to do in the next year. And they can either be contributing to that long-term goal or they can be something that you've wanted to do. And instead of putting it off, you say it has to happen in the next yeah. 365 days, which gives you plenty of time to do it. I didn't do all of mine, which is terrible. I, I thought about no. them. I tried. One of them got pushed back a year. It is scheduled for this year. Uh, the one taking Wait, my mom so to Africa. Right <laughs> It's actually not. If you hit 100% of your goals, you're not dreaming big enough. Right. So That's a good point. You, yeah. Like earlier in the intro, you had said something about failure, like failing at New Year's resolutions. And I think that's a really dangerous word because I think for people like us, like if someone tells me I have to take 10,000 steps, if I don't, I'm stressing about it. And I think that's dumb. Right. So I think you have to know your audience, know yourself and know what's going to work for you. So for someone like you, I would be very careful about what kind of goals I was setting with you because I know your heart on yourself and I know you're a bit of a perfectionist. So someone who does need to be pushed, right? Like it's not, I don't think there is one path for every person. The reason I love the accountability is because if I said to you, I've always wanted to go to Africa and I really want to make it happen within three years, then if we're out partying, you're going to be like, Lizzie, don't buy that next drink. Go put that money in the Africa fund. Right. And by the way, in six months, you need to start thinking about like what hotels you're going to go to and read this article that I read. And like, you can help me get there. Right. And that's why I think the more people you have on your bandwagon, the better we need community. We need help and it's okay to need help. And I think last year, even like I pronounced to the class, like by the end of 2019, I will have found my person. And I didn't, and I kind of feel like a dick, but like, it didn't happen. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do it again this year. But like, by putting it out there, it's ballsy, right? And it's taking that leap of faith of like, hey, someday I want to do a TED Talk and I want to be on Ellen. And I'm not ashamed to say it out loud anymore. And I'm not going to hide from who I want to be. And I think that sets something in motion. And that helps people around you. For me, you've totally helped me. Like, because you knew what I wanted you're then able to say like, hey, let me bring you in on this thing that I'm doing or let me introduce you to this cool person that I think you would like. And so most of us have good-hearted people around us, hopefully. And when you hear that you can help somebody that you care about, you jump in, right? right? Which hopefully feeds everybody. Like I'm assuming it feels good for you to connect people. For sure. I love it. Yeah, it's why I do it. (laughs) So that's another piece of what's so powerful about not just the accountability of it, which I think is huge because it's easy to just get it, you know, just be lost in the shuffle, but you never know who's in the room and who you're saying it to and how they can help you effortlessly. And I think that's a huge piece. Well, and another thing that you talked about is that turn left. And so much of that is convincing yourself I've done enough things well, or I've solved enough problems, or I've survived enough changes that if I really want to make this change, it'll be okay to do so. I had this great professor from Yale, Dr. Lori Santos, who teaches a class in happiness. And one of the things she talks about, especially on her podcast, the, um, I, I forget happiness lab, I think is what it's called is that we cannot project the future correctly. 
we have a tendency to either yeah. presume the very worst of things when something bad happens to us or the very best of things when something good happens to us. If you win the lottery, you think you're immediately going to have all your problems solved. And that's absolutely not true based on tons mm-hmm. of studies into people who won the lottery. If you lose a limb, you think your life is over. And instead, so many of those people go on to become Ironmen and Paralympians and do things they never even tried when they were fully able-bodied because they just didn't occur to them before. So we yeah. were terrible at projecting the future. And so yeah. that's why those practices are necessary because people won't take those leaps of faith and quit the job or go out and do something crazy because they will presume the worst every time. Yeah. And the thing I always say to people about turning left is there's a moment where staying safely on track becomes scarier than facing those fears. And that's when you know it's time to jump. So I've had, like, I remember saying to friends of mine who had been divorced, like, how do I know when I'm ready to leave? And they're like, oh, you know. You know. Every bone in your body is ready to go. Everything in you needs to leave for both of your sakes. Like, I wasn't married to a bad guy. He was a great guy. He just wasn't my guy. And I wasn't his person. And there's a moment that happens of, like, <laughs> like in a movie, right? Everything goes quiet. The spotlight comes on and you're like, and scene. That shit is done. I am out. Because facing those three fears, I would rather have those three things come true than stay where I am right now. Right. And it's a really empowering moment. And you want people to find that moment when they tell you they want to quit their job for like eight years in a row. And you're yeah. Like, You've just yeah. spent eight totally. years somewhere that you hated. Isn't that right. so much worse than like what maybe could happen if you quit and try something else? Exactly. Exactly. And what ends up happening in these workshops is, well, you were actually huge in having in that room. I always need someone who's not shy. (laughs) And, you know, to start the conversation of like, throw out a turn left that you've already done. And so someone will say, I left a job or I got out of a marriage or I sold everything and went on a trip around the world for a year. And it's going to spark something in someone else in the room. You never know who's in the room and what they're thinking about and what they're struggling with. And again, people want to help people. So I think creating those kind of environments and those kind of situations where I can't remember, there was another thing that happened in that room where somebody, oh, somebody wanted to run a marathon and train to run a marathon in other states. And because she said it out loud, I happen to have known a girl who does this as like her thing. She wants to run a marathon in all 50 states. And so I connected them. Right. So that they could have a little bit of a. So cool. Yeah. Like that's how you create those connections. And so I think part of being able to say it out loud and acknowledge what you have faced also gives other people the courage to then take that same leap. Like, well, if she's done it and she looks really happy, maybe I can do it, too. To your point about losing a limb, like we wouldn't necessarily be able to project that I would be not just fine, but potentially better. Right once coming through a trauma like that and to hear people and see people who've done it, as we know, is massively inspiring and heroic and, you know, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So for people listening and they're like, Oh, this is all great information, but I have no idea where to start. How do I put this into practice? Can you take us through like a quick thing where you're having them tangibly either write down or manifest or, or start this process of dealing with their intentions for the new year differently than maybe they have before? Yes. So I would say first things first, write down. Okay. So go grab your favorite pen and your favorite pad of paper, press pause, come back when you're ready. Write down the one thing 
that you want to create in 2020. So by the end of 2020, December 2020, when you're looking back, what are you so grateful for that you brought in? And whatever the thing is, kind of go one or two levels deeper of what was it that you wanted to feel? So if I want to bring in more money, it's not that I need the money. It's that I want to feel more abundant or I want to have a bigger place and I want to have an art studio in it so that I feel free and my creativity is flowing. And when my creativity is flowing, then I feel alive, right? So you're grateful because then you can feel alive. So go into the feeling that you want to create, write that down, and then go back and think about a moment when you could have very easily stayed safely on track. You were doing what you were supposed to be doing. You were being, you know, following the rules, but something in you was pulling you to get off track. You knew that there was more for you. You wanted more. You knew you deserved more. First, write down the three biggest fears that you were facing when making that choice, and then write down the reality of those fears once you actually jumped. So whatever it is that the reality of those fears became once you jumped, whatever the fear is that's holding you back from going in and really creating what you want at the end of 2020, those fears have just as much power as the old ones did. So just hold that like feeling of safety and stability and security in your heart. And then as often as you can, lean into the feeling that you want to create at the end of 2020. Lean into what it will feel like to be in your bigger apartment or in your better job or in your loving relationship. What does it feel like to know that it's already happened? Get yourself on that vibration as if it already exists. And then I think the key here is to surrender. And it's been the hardest thing for me to do, and I'm still working on it, but to truly surrender to knowing, to your point about we don't know how to predict happiness, I don't know how to predict timing, but I know everything else in my life has always worked out. So I'm going to sort of surrender and know if my person were supposed to be in my life today, they would be here. The fact that they're not I'm going to keep holding on to that feeling of being in a divine partnership with an amazing human being who is supportive and stands by my side and we can love each other for exactly who we are. And I know that when it's the perfect timing, that person will show up and it will be amazing. And until then, I'm just going to keep loving them from where I am. So that's the sort of surrender piece to it. And if you hate me for saying that, I totally get it. But that's just sort of the reality of where I am with this now. Do people tend to hate you when you say it? Because I know you've said before that your mantra at the end of every class, which is you are exactly where you're meant to be mentally, physically, and spiritually. Sometimes people get mad at you for saying that if they're not in a good spot. They would say, why, why am I meant to be here? Yeah, and I do too. Like I sort of get into the like, but I, I do this work for a living. Where's my person? <laughs> and I think the thing that we have to realize is as this might be a global thing, but I think specifically as like Westerners, we really love being in control or at least thinking we're in control mm -hmm. and manifestation and all of this work that I do is we control what we can control. And then you have to let go because the reality is we are teeny tiny little specks of energy and we can only control so much and the rest you just have to trust that there is some other plan or, or path for you out there. And, you know, not to say like you got to go and pray to, 
to any God or a specific God or anything like that, but just sort of knowing it's going to happen when it's meant to happen, whether it's the coincidence falling into place for those of you rolling your eyes, I totally get it. But if you look back on your life, things fall into your lap at just the perfect time and just the perfect way. And however you explain that is how I need you to explain this thing coming in the future. Right. It's going to well, come at just the right time. And so much of that, too, is how you decide to approach life. If you are someone, when something bad happens, who thinks bad things always happen to me, then you don't think about the fact that there are plenty of other people in the world that are going through terrible things, and you never think good things always happen to me, then you're going to focus mm -hmm. on the bad, and you're going yeah. to not believe that you can change it. There's a quote that I always love, the happiest people don't have the best of everything, they just make the best of everything, because it yeah. ties back into gratitude, which I talk about all the time here and things that actually work for me, which is learning how to make my brain react differently when I'm stuck yeah. in traffic. And I think instead, Oh my God, I'm so annoyed by this. I think, wow, this is actually a reasonable time for me to be stuck in this traffic. Cause I'm not in a hurry. Wow. This would have been so much worse mm -hmm. if this was on a day when I was in a hurry, but actually, you know what? I'm really enjoying this podcast. It just gives me more mm -hmm. time to listen to it. And my brain actually goes there now instead yeah, of where okay. it used to go, which is I want to, you know, run the car over in front of me and get out of right. this traffic because I've yeah. trained it now to try to react differently when I get into situations by just choosing over and over, stepping outside of myself and looking at the thoughts I'm having and saying, are these thoughts productive? Are they helping you in any way? Or are you, could you react differently to the situation you're in? And now I don't have to choose that anymore. My brain just goes there. It's a miracle. Yeah. It's magic. You, you literally like, I'm going to try to go for another athletic moment here. <laughs> Like, if you keep running the same track, you're going to create a little groove in that track. And that's what you're doing with your brain. You're creating little patterns, and it's easier for your brain to stay in that pattern. So if you're constantly going to the negative and constantly looking for the dark, it will happily show up. Mm. And that's why I always say, to, like, in classes, the most powerful thing we can do is find gratitude in every single moment we're in, to your point, of, wow, I'm in a heated car and it's raining out, and yeah, I'm stuck in traffic, but I'm not getting wet, and I'm not cold. And I have radio and satellite radio, and I'm listening, you know, like, and to go into all the different things that are going right for you, and sometimes I'll say them out loud. And I always say to people at the end of class, picture someone in your world that you're grateful for, because it's such an easy way for us to connect to the actual feeling. And to my point about finding the, it's not about the thing that you want, the story you want, you're looking for a feeling that you feel like is missing from your life and your goal. So, Someone will say, I want to lose weight in 2020. It's not that you want to lose weight. You want to feel healthier, right? You don't feel healthy right now, and you probably want to feel healthier. If it's about vanity, like, that still is a feeling that you're seeking. Right. It's some kind of not enoughness that you're solving for. And for me, I like, when I think about a person, I generally think about my puppy, <laughs> my 12-year-old puppy. And because when I think about her face, my heart instantly softens, right? Like, when I think of her playing and running like a puppy, I feel happy and I feel light. And I, I want usually think that. of Fletch too. And then I feel guilty sometimes. And I think of people instead of Fletch because I feel bad that it's always Fletch that comes to my mind. Think of our pets because it's that unconditional. Right. Like no matter what, they're cute. And no matter yeah. what, they love us. So it's easier. But I ask people to think about whatever it is that's going to put you in the feeling that you want to be feeling later. Just keep thinking about like attracts like. The more you water it, the more it will grow. So the more you can stay in that loop of my person's already here. On some level, he's already here. 
so if I imagine what it's like to like hang up this podcast and he's texting me like, Hey babe, hope it went great. Can't wait to hear about it tonight at dinner. Like my heart feels better, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And we just want to live in that good feeling as much as possible. Well, and you're also going to walk out of your house, presumably to go run errands or teach a class or do whatever. And if you're in that space of like, he's already here or I'm already skinnier and more comfortable in my body. I'm just working my way to getting there physically, but mentally I'm already there or I'm, yeah. I'm already moved on to like believing that the career I want is in front of me. I'm going to walk through this day with this joy of like, holy cow, I'm going to make it at the thing that I love and want to do. Then you're putting all that energy out to all the people around you and they're going to want to be around it. And it's going to manifest itself completely oppositely. If you're walking through the world, like everything sucks. I still don't have a man, a career, a house or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so hard to, like you said, to just surrender to the belief of it and not get caught up in the idea that it hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. And the reality is for any of my clients that I'm working with, or even like yoga students or whatever, if someone, first of all, we're all entitled to our bad days and our bad moods. And when I'm in a funk, I try really hard. This is the fight and this is where the work comes in. But I try really hard to say like, okay, it's this time in 10 minutes, I have to fight my way out of this hole. Mm. And it is work to do it. Like that's when I start thinking about Hurley and I'll look at pictures of the dog and like really do my work to feel better. And so if a client comes to me and is like, this went wrong and this went wrong and this went wrong. Okay. And because that went wrong, this happened for you. And because that went wrong, this thing happened for you. And we don't know what good is going to come from that other thing that went wrong, but I'm guessing we're going to be able to find something. Can you hold on to that? In the middle of the worst traumatic moments, for me, the one way that I can see my way out is to know I would still rather have these problems than what the majority of people on this planet are dealing with. Right. And it's not even in a comparison situation, but like, I know I can handle it. I know I can get out of this hole. I just have to start digging and I actually have the tools to do it because I've been given those tools and anything that I haven't been given, someone's going to show up with the book that I'm supposed to read or someone's going to introduce me to a person that I'm supposed to talk to that's going to provide that next step. Maybe this is that conversation, that person, that yeah, whatever for people. Um, Cause I certainly know that those tiny little thought exercises and moments of gratitude and whatever in class are part of the reason that I started to lean into this stuff once I then applied the science to it, of course, as we all know, once I started <laughs> researching it and asking questions, a thousand questions. Um, well, this was really fantastic. And I, I hope that people uh, got past a little bit of eye rolling if they had it to like dive into this, because I'll tell you, it's much better to just lean into it and believe it and embrace it than maybe what you've been doing. If what you've been doing is just to ignore it and presume that the world is a dark black planet hurtling into space with no rhyme or reason and you have no control over it because what the hell good is that going to do you i mean what is that what you used to believe sarah um no 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 i just was a lot less able to access and understand like you know energy and intention and i, I didn't know. know that you could change your brain i kind of thought we were just stuck with what we got so yeah. um neuroplasticity literally changed my brain the idea of the brain being able to change, change my brain and my person. And here we are. Yeah. Well, it was so great to talk to you. And I'm glad that your cough never, I mean, you manifested it to disappear by the, making it your dilemma. 
That was pretty magical, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks for having me, Sarah. That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me and I fix it. This week, people who complain about their gym or workout class getting overcrowded in the new year. I get it. You got to wait for the bench press or you got to watch so you don't clank arms with someone who's doing Tadasana next to you. But you don't have to be a dick. They're there for the same reasons that you are. Who cares if you've been there for years and they're just getting started? That is actually all the more reason to be welcoming and helpful, not judgy and annoyed by them. One day if I snap, it's probably going to be about this because it's usually people who just want to humble brag about being gym regulars and talk about how those resolusers are just going to quit soon anyway. So why are they there? Which is super rude. Don't be a gym hipster. Don't keep it to yourself and then get mad when other people find this class that you love or this gym that you dig. Tell everyone about it. Be happy that they love it too, even if you got to get there a little earlier to find a spot. You got to get creative and do some body weight exercises in between sets on the machines. Figure it out. I mean, I just told all the Chicago people listening to this about the magic of Lizzie, and I know they're going to be Googling and crashing her classes. It's be harder for me to get in and find a spot, and I'm going to deal with it. In fact, I will feel good about it. Welcome to the party, pals. All right. Feel good about what we accomplished today. Be supportive of those people. Whether or not you need resolutions to get started, maybe they do. Maybe they need a fresh start of a new year to get going, and that's okay. Welcome them. Be helpful. There. I fixed it. If your listener dilemma is that you can't figure out any good resolutions or intentions for the new year, then you're in luck. I read this great piece that was floating around the interwebs on thoughtcatalog.com. It's called 25 Tiny Habit Changes That Will Make You a Different Person in a Year from Now. You can go read the whole thing for yourself. There's lots of good stuff in there. But here are a few that resonated with me that I, uh, I think you can get started with. Maybe consider. Write down your goals at the start of each week and each month and measure and track those goals throughout the year. Actually look at the goal in the face and be honest with yourself about what you did do and what you could have done better. I actually have a book that goes along with that Gretchen Rubin book I bought better than before. It's a journal where I'm now writing down the goals and intentions and then following up every day to see if I'm doing them. Another one, say yes to something that scares you, even if you know it will truly be good for you. That's about those barriers that Lizzie just talked about. Another one, pay attention to the factors that you need to do good work. Do you need music, silence, a window, white noise? Do you need to turn your phone face down or take scheduled breaks every 45 minutes to read a few pages in a book? Do you need to take a walk first or right in the middle of it? Pay attention to the moments in which you've done your best work. Notice the factors that were present in that experience and to do everything in your power to replicate it every single time. Talk to strangers sometimes. This is what I need to work on. Remember my podcast with Dr. Lori Santos who said we would be surprised how it most often makes people happier to talk to strangers and engage in those conversations, even when we think it'd be better off to keep our headphones in. So talk to your Uber driver when they seem to be in a chatty mood. Talk to your server about anything other than the happy hour specials. Talk to the person ringing up your dry cleaning. See how their day's going. Sometimes the interaction will be nice but forgettable. Sometimes you'll still remember it years from now. People have the most interesting things to say when you're listening. Another one, tell people you're proud of them, thankful for them, inspired by them, grateful to them, here for them, honored to know them, and comforted by them. That, of course, fits in with all the messages from this pod about gratitude and how it can actually make you more grateful and more thankful for everybody if you verbalize it. Make every decision, every little choice based on your desire to be a person of integrity. That's a really good one. I know some of you out there might be scared by that, but give it a shot for a while. And finally, think about where you were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Think about all the things you're doing now that you wouldn't have ever believed that you could do back then. 
and then keep waking up every day striving to make the future you again astounded and proud. I love that one, and I always love that quote about thinking about the things that you do now and how years ago you couldn't have even imagined or dreamed of them. You have all the things now that you wished and dreamed you could have had years ago, so be thankful for them. Anyway, those are some to get started. Hope you guys enjoyed this. And if you got a dilemma for me to fix, tweet it to me at Sarah Spain or go to the iTunes or podcast app, subscribe, rate and review and leave the dilemma in your review. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. Well, that's what she said. 